This past Thursday, we were together with uh, family, and uh, in the afternoon, and in the after after we had eaten, we had sat down, and I had picked up one of those uh, shiny, slick uh, Black Friday fly uh, sales flyers and started leafing through it. And as I did, I said, "Things cannot make me happy." And after each page, and and uh, in the midst of the laughter, uh, one, of the, one of them asked the question, is he, is he making a statement or is he trying to convince himself? <laughs> All those things are the trappings of success. Things that come with success, and there's such a deception to success. Uh, there's a mirage. I mean, if you s- achieve success... What you'll get with it is happiness, fulfillment, contentment, and satisfaction. That's really a lie, and there's really not a few greater lies than that. In fact, with one statement, I'd like to bring success and satisfaction together. And that is this statement. If it ever stops. (laughs) There is never enough success to make anyone feel completely satisfied. There's a second statement I'd like you to consider alongside that. That the trouble with success, that the formula is the same same as one for a nervous breakdown. I want to welcome you to this part of our service this morning and uh, uh, greet you in Christ's name as well. I'm, I'm glad to see that all of you survived the Thanksgiving meal and th- the turkey did not. But uh, what a blessing, I mean, to be with family and, and to reflect on the blessing, the way God has blessed us, and the faithfulness of God. Well, this morning I want to set four words in front of you. And um, there are four words that we're going to associate with success. The first is fortune. Um, It is highly doubtful that uh, you know of anyone that the world would consider successful that does not have wealth or, or money. More money than the average person. Now, all of us know that there's nothing wrong with money. If we use it, if we use it, uh, have gained it honestly, and uh, if we use it for investing, saving, uh, giving, if our motive is right and our heart is pure, there's nothing wrong with that. But there's something that we need to remember that none of us can name anyone who's ever found satisfaction by the simple gathering and the hoarding of money, of wealth. The second is fame. The statement is, to be successful, you need to be well-known. You need to be popular. Uh, That's how society, if you're not popular, you're not well-known, then you're not considered successful. I want you to consider uh, a statement made by a popular talk show host who uh, 
who has spent many years interviewing popular people, very famous people, and he made a statement. He said, I would not wish the curse of fame on anyone. The third is power. To be considered successful, you need to wield some authority. You need to, uh, to be in charge. You need to push some people around. And you need to carry some weight. And the fourth is pleasure. Perhaps the emptiest of all. To be successful, you need to have all your wants fulfilled. The scripture puts it, eat, drink, and be merry. I mean, if you have the means to live and have all your wants fulfilled, there are going to be a lot of people who will envy you and consider you very successful. But I want you to stop and think about these four. None of these four bring satisfaction. In fact, as you think of those four, there is not a hint of the vertical dimension of life. And all of these God has left out. And secondly, it is entirely selfish. It's all about you. This past Friday, I did venture out, and uh, I wanted to get something for a property I'm working on. And uh, I went to Menards. Most of the people there were very courteous, by the way. I mean, they were very, there wasn't, they weren't rude. And um, while I was there, I seen an item that would make my wife's life and my dad's life just a little easier. And it was great. Of course, it was one of those like Black Friday special things. And so I bought each of them one, and, and I gave it to them right away so they could use it right away. But you know what blessed me that day? That, that I was able to give something to so two people I loved in my life. That's, it just made my day to be able to do that. You know, that's what I want you to consider today. You will never, it is impossible for you to ever find satisfaction and contentment if these two dimensions are not in your life, the vertical and the horizontal. You will never find satisfaction and contentment. Um... You have to know the peace of God, the favor of God, the will of God. And secondly, there must be an investing in someone else's life. There has to be, you have to know what it means to assist, to care, to show compassion. Those are qualities that need to be in your life for you to ever feel contentment. Now, our text today I've taken out of uh, 1 Peter 5. And uh, verses 5 through 7. It says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject unto one, one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. 
You see, the world's formula for success is much more complicated. It's work longer, work harder, work all the hours you can, climb the ladder, strive for the highest position, push, climb over the next guy, make getting ahead number one priority in your life, and sacrifice what you need to do to get there, your family, your children, your church, your conscience, scripture. Go for it. Promote yourself. Be aggressive. Be intimidating. Take care of yourself because no one else will. But in these verses, I find God's way for success to be exactly almost the opposite. I want to give you three words this morning. They all begin with A. That are part of the formula for God's success. The first is the first is authority. Submit yourselves unto those who are older and wiser. If you want to be wise in God's eyes, clothe yourself with humility towards those especially to others, but especially the wise. Now, Peter first applies it to the younger man, but it's not limited to that, and he next he applies it to all of us. That word subjection carries the thought of submitting, listening, and being guided. You know, contrary to that old adage that we've often heard, experience is the best teacher, that is not true. Guided experience is the best teacher. Over a year ago, I sat down with uh, one of the young men in this church, and he was asking advice about changing a job. And as I asked a few questions, uh, we concluded it would be wise for him to change his vocation. And, uh, but here's what, here's what was really neat about this. Here was a young man who wanted to make a wise decision. He wanted to be guided and to be taught. But to do that, he had to clothe himself with humility. You know how he did that? Simply by admitting he didn't know and asking. There's something else he did with that that really blessed me. He trusted me. He trusted me enough to speak into his life. There's another element. I mean, um, you know, throughout the years, many of us have been through situations where we've seen authority being misused and abused. And there's many of you sitting here this morning that have been the object of that abuse. And uh, consequently, because of that, there many of you have a very negative view of, of authority. When you hear of authority and submission, there's a natural repulsion and a rejection. You just kind of draw back. But uh, <coughs> this past year, I had an experience that I want to share with you. Uh, we went to out to Missouri to an aunt's funeral, 
And they were a part of a group that had, of a group who came out of a very, very conservative sect. And uh, it was through the actions of a local pastor they came to understand salvation. And uh, through the process, they, they experienced the not only the rejection of the sect, they were excommunicated, but uh, they, were, they were totally rejected by their families. And this took place in the 80s. So cl- over 35 years ago, this took all this t- took place. And so uh, and there was just a lot of pain that was associated with this. And out there in the funer- out at the funeral, these, these individuals, they, you, they very much love fe- fellowship, and especially if they know that you're from a similar background. They're just really drawn to you. And as I sat down with one of them, I just started asking some questions. I just said, I, you know, I'm, I'm always curious and I'm always interested. Uh, when you've come through that kind of a situation, that kind of hurt, and, and h- how you've worked through it, and what you found to be healing for you. And, and uh, well, a, and the individual said, the, he said, well, I said, time really helps. Time helps a lot. Uh, in that situation and I kept on just doing uh, some gentle probings and asking a few more questions and then he, he finally he bared his heart to me and the answer he gave me was really sad <coughs> yet it was there was incredible honesty to it he said I guess to be really honest I've never really gotten over it I mean he just opened his heart and I went on to share some things that have worked really well for me, how to work through that kind of pain. My question is this. <coughs> for those of you who have come through so those kinds of situations, if you never deal with the pain and the rejection in your life, how can you ever learn to trust someone close? How are you going to do it? How are you ever going to have a healthy view of authority and submission when you're carrying that kind of hurt with you? How are you ever going to be put on humility, being vulnerable enough to, to put on some humility saying, could you help me? I don't know. How would you do that? if you're carrying all those things from the past with you. You know, I want to be very loving this morning, but I want to be very direct with some of you as well. Some of you are still carrying that pain. You're still carrying those, those things that you've gone through in years past. You're still carrying it with you. And I, I, want you, I want all of you to know, I know what some of those things are like. I know what it's like to be born again. I'm just wanting to tell the world, having some people I respect to tell me, it's better you just be quiet. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to sit in a church and being the object of a message that was so clear that the only thing that wasn't said was my name. I know what that's like. So I know what it's like to being 
feeling hurt, misunderstood, and rejected, abandoned. But here's what helped me out. Here's what worked for me. First of all, it helped me to understand that before a holy God, I was every bit as guilty as those who hurt me. And that the wrong thing for me to do is to cry for justice because if God gave me justice, I'd be in hell right now. It also helped me to understand that those who hurt me did it out of a great deal of ignorance. They didn't have some of the good teaching and, and the good instruction that you guys are getting. They just didn't know. It also helped me to understand that those who wronged me and who hurt me, that it could never be compared to how I had wronged God, how I had hurt the heart of God. It helped me to understand that. And yet, he, God still forgave me. That helped me to, to grasp the concept that I must forgive those who have hurt me. I've, I've got to release. You know, forgiveness can be so freeing when you just let it go. I can honestly say those situations I went through, I can go back to those things and I do not feel pain. I can go back and minister to those people and I don't feel the pain. I don't lash out. Uh, one of the things I noticed about some of those that group that, that we were with in Missouri. Some of those people are still lashing out today. They still lash out. You see, if you don't deal with the pain and the rejection and the hurt, it continues to spill out in situations that you come into. It'll still just kind of spill out. You can't keep it. Try as you might, you're never going to be able to keep it completely closed. The second part of that is that if, if, if your heart is so guarded, nobody else gets in. You can't have deep spiritual relationships with brothers and sisters when you've guarded your, when your, those doors are locked high. So with healing, when there's, he, when there's forgiveness, there's healing. There's healing that comes with that. It's possible to be vulnerable, to be trusting, and, and to submit to someone. You know, I'm sure as Peter wrote this thing of, of, of authority, he thought back to a night in the upper room when Jesus took a towel and he knelt in front of 12 disciples and washed 12, washed some dirty feet. <sighs> Wouldn't that just break your heart? To think that God who had created you, created the earth, washing your feet. So when Peter uses the word submit, subject, and be included, he has, he has in mind of it a continuous action. It's not, it's not just for thanksgiving. It's not just, just for communion. You know what it's for? It's a way of life. It's how you live life. 
you, 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 you submit or you, you're willing to admit that you don't know everything. You need help in life. None of us are that big and that powerful that we can just go through life alone and not need anybody. It's not like that. It's okay to admit you, you don't have it together. So what does it look like when we uh, clothe ourselves in humility? Toward those who are... What does that look like in real life? Shoe leather? Wisdom is taking knowledge that you have and bring it together with experience. Just living life. How do you do that? How does it look? Well, first of all, we listen to their counsel. You listen to the counsel of wise. And those who are older, who are wiser, you listen to what they say. Secondly, you will remain open to their reproofs. When they come to you and say, you know what, I've got a real deep concern. Here's why. You sit up and you take note. Thirdly, we respect their decisions and their seasoned years. Why? Because they've lived life. They understand some things. Um, you know, on all of you, uh, you've lived life. All of you have lived enough life that you, you have some experience to speak into someone else's life. Don't think this is don't think this is just for pastors. Why is it important? Because to do otherwise leads us to a very proud independence. And then Peter quotes Proverbs 3 verse 34. And I want you to see that in the verses that surround what Peter is quoting. It says, envy not the oppressor and choose none of his ways. Don't, in other words, don't envy those who are wicked or violent. For the froward or the, the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the secret is with the righteous. Uh, some other translations put, puts it, God is, is friends with the righteous. To give you the thought, God is intimate with those who are upright. Then the opposite. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked. Here's the contrast. But he blesses the habitation of the just. Surely he scorneth the scorners. Somebody who scorners, somebody who mocks, who sneers. But you know what? God will always get the last sneer at those who mock. But he, notice that, but well, here's the contrast. But he giveth grace to the lowly. The ones who are afflicted. He gives you grace. The wise shall inherit glory. Notice this, this is what's coming in the future. You are going to see glory in the future, but notice the opposite. But the shame shall be the promotion of fools. 
God always gets in the last near. Um, I want, to s- want you to see one other verse. It's in James chapter 4, verse 6. But he giveth more grace. James is alluding to the same verse. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. God gives a greater grace to those who clothe themselves with humility. So one of the first steps towards a truly satisfying success is to submit yourselves to those who are wise. Instead of flaunting your own authority. And in the midst of that kind of of trust and humility, God shovels grace your way. The second word I want you to consider is attitude. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And in the Old Testament... When God used, when the scripture talks about the hand of God, there are two general thoughts that come with that. It is first of all associated with the discipline of God, and it is also associated with the deliverance of God. For example, here's here's a scripture, uh, if it ever stops spinning. Exodus 319, he says, and I am sure that the king of Egypt, this is, this is when uh, Moses is at the burning bush. This is the exchange between God and Moses. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. God is saying, I know that it is going to take my hand, my mighty hand, to bring deliverance. Now, notice what he says in verse and I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. So in two verses, you see one is talking about deliverance. The other is talking about divine discipline. There's another one. Exodus 6, 1. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand, speaking about God's hand, he shall let them go, and with a strong hand he shall drive them out of his land. So there's, a, there's that hand of deliverance. Then in Psalms 32, this is of David, this is, the, this is before Nathan comes to David. David is living with the guilt of adultery with Bathsheba. He is living a double life. He's living a life of hypocrisy. And uh, this is what he's writing. For, by, for day and night thy hand, God's hand of discipline, was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned to the drought of the summer. Now, I remember back to the early years of our, our marriage. We lived in a mobile home. 
and we didn't have air conditioning. And uh, I remember some of those summer nights in the 90s. You take a shower and you got out and it didn't feel like, it wasn't very long until you didn't feel like you'd take a shower. And you could turn on a fan and the fan just became a blast furnace. But David is not talking about the summer heat. He's talking about his conscience. He's talking about that blistering, feverish pain that God was putting onto his conscience as he lived that, that double life. And it was just draining him. You see, that's the discipline of God. Back to 1 Peter. So when you truly humble yourself before God and you're willing to accept his disciplines, you graciously acknowledge his, his deliverance from those awful nights of loneliness, bitterness, frustration, and guilt. Now here's the positive. Notice what it says in verse 6, that he may exalt you in due time. In other words, in God's economy, when we humble ourselves, we don't have to manipulate people. We don't have to manipulate events. Why? Because God will exalt us at the right time. I want you to imagine this morning that you're someone who started playing an instrument. And as you started playing found you discovered you just had a real talent for it but not only were you good at playing an instrument you started writing lyrics and and it's amazing what kind of lyrics you were able to write there's only one problem your only audience is sheep that was david But you know what David did? He, he humbled himself. And he kept right on singing to sheep. In that moment, David, even in his wildest dreams, could have never imagined that millions of people that one day would, would read his lyrics, even you, in Psalms, and that they would bring you comfort. He couldn't have imagined that that one day he would be in the house of a king and he would play and it would even quiet the, the heart of the king. You see, the reason it worked for David is because God was David's manager. And in due time, God exalted David in the right moment. Now, when you humble yourself, when you become vulnerable, when you, when you open your heart, when you clothe yourself with humility and you submit to others who are wiser than you, the third one is inevitable. 
And that is anxiety. You know why? Because life is just difficult sometimes. Seen a bumper sticker on a truck that said, trouble happens, but it was in a different translation. The word carries, the word care carries the thought of a distraction, something that takes your focus off of God. Worries, anxieties, you know, they come in thousands of different forms. They could be your children, they could be old age be school that could be the church the list goes on but you know what God says when those those anxieties come those those worries those those things that just those distractions that just flood you give them back to me dump your burden onto me if any of you have ever had the experience of running a real heavy leaf blower, and uh, you've got a fairly, we've got a lot of trees and a lot of yard, and uh, there comes a point in that, that, that process when it just kind of feels glued to you, and you, you can't wait to just kind of peel those straps off your back, and there's just like, there's just a, you, you feel so much lighter when you do so. That's the thing that, that's the picture that God has in mind. Your burdens, your, 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 the weight you're carrying, drop it off. Give me the burden. I thought of a Christian as he, as he comes to the cross and he, he drops his burden. You want a simple formula for relief? If you guys have been keeping notes, you've already got it written down. Submission plus humility minus anxiety equals relief. Isn't that neat? Now, after hearing all of this, I, you know what? Be it would be just great if all of us were just miraculously changed. <laughs> just push the button, but it doesn't work like that. So, with your faith that you have this morning in Scripture, I want to give you three words that you're going to need in this process. The first is direction. You know, we all need direction who to submit to. Who are the wise that we should mark and that we should follow? Who are people who are living wisely? Who are the Christians, the believers who are living very wisely in today's world? What books should I read that would spur my spiritual life? What scriptures should I consider? 
So the first of all, we need, we need some direction. So our prayer should be, Lord, who should I submit to for guidance in my life? Secondly, we need discipline. Discipline for what? We need discipline to restrain the hellish pride in all of our lives. That pride that as you become more and more successful, that you just turn to yourself and away from God. That pride that drives you to manipulate your way through life just to get what you want out of life. And the discipline to humble ourselves and stay under the mighty hand of God and allow him to chasten and to deliver us at his discretion. We need that discipline. There is thirdly, we need discernment. We need the discernment to spot anxiety at the earliest stages when it enters our lives. We need to be able to counter it with scripture and saying, Lord, I, I want to trust with you. Um, it's so important we spot it because uh, if we don't spot it, we're, we're apt to jump ship when the waves get big. So we need some, we need some discernment. Now, for those of you that are still skeptical that this could work, this, this formula for success, I want, to want you to consider the words of Henry David Thoreau. He says, if anyone advances confidently in the direction of his dreams and endeavors to live the life which he has imagined, he will meet success unexpected in common hours. You see, the beauty of God's success is this. Its origin is never the flesh. And it is never forced or pressured. It happens. Success happens in unexpected moments. It's always a surprise. Let's bow. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I want you to imagine this morning for a moment this big mighty hand above all of us. And in reality, it is above us. It is the, the hand of God. And if you look, you're going to see that it bears the scars of a, a Roman nail. You see that hand? It, that hand knows shame, rejection, abandonment. It knows what it means to be despised. That hand also knows what it means to heal and to deliver. The destitute woman with an issue, the blind, and yes, even the guilty, go and sin no more. It is also a very compassionate hand.
It will lift the burden. A burden that you've been carrying for far too long. But it is also a very firm hand. Because it's going to remain over all of us until we submit and humble ourselves. You know, for these, just for a moment, I, I just want you to, to I'm just for the, just a moment of quietness for you to clear yourself and to, to come clean with God. I, I just want to have a moment of quietness. Lord, indeed, we are grateful to be in your presence. Lord, this morning we are mindful of your blessings. Lord, we're grateful to be able to call you Father, Abba Father. And Lord, in recognizing you as a Father, we also recognize your, your uh, authority to discipline our lives. But also to deliver us. to chasten us, and to free us. Lord, we're also grateful this morning to be able to cast our cares upon you, those things we, we tend to worry about. Lord, we know that one part of your mission was to set the captives free. And Lord, I would pray that for all of us this morning, that there there might be a sense of freedom and a sense of vulnerability to where we open our lives to each other. We care. We admit that we're, we're not that big or that strong. And that we need others. We need you. Thank you, Lord, for this recipe. Because we know it works because it's, it's from your hand. Lord, give us the courage to walk in it, the faithfulness. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to turn the time over to you, James. You might want to remember the noon meal as well then. <laughs>